Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have Devin Brady, who comes to us from uh, about blocks away from where our studio is located. Um, I have uh, become friends with him recently on social media. Uh, we're here today to talk about his uh, history and music, what he's up to today, and just kind of Tampa and culture in general. So um, I I don't know when I first noticed that we were Facebook friends, but it was somewhat recently that you reached out to me and we kind of had the discussion, do we know each other? And if we don't know each other, why don't we know each other? Right, right, yeah. Um, are you a, a Tampa guy from 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 the jump or, or did yeah you, okay yeah, yeah forty six years now forty six years young all right where'd you go to school I went to uh, I went to Gaither for high school okay uh, I was a little I was actually more in Kings District um, and I I did two years at Gaither and then I did uh, early admissions thing at USF so I left there a little a little early what was your What was your bag back then Were you sp- athletic Were you a f- academic Were you was, an artist I was just a punk rocker Punk rocker uh, back yeah, then Pretty much um, So 46 Punk rocker Sophomore year of high school What are we talking Like 88 Yeah mm-hmm. Okay So let's Who are the bands in 88 That we're listening to uh, Let's see So we were going to Well uh, Tell me the shows uh, I want to hear the, the shows, shows. Uh, Bad Brains of the Cuban Club Oh um, SNFU in Orlando with the accused, oh, oh. um, Slayer and Motorhead at the fairgrounds. Oh, you're uh, killing me. <laughs> Were you a skateboarder? Gets, uh, I was a little bit. Yeah. After I broke my arm a couple of times, like, yeah, you got, that, that'll teach you. Yeah. Oh, bad brains at the Cuban club. Oh, I can't even imagine. What, yeah. what album would that have been? Was that, that was, so that was like, uh, so I got into it young, um, I held older brothers. So that was probably, I was probably 13 or 14 years old at that time. Um, so it would have been. Had they turned reggae yet or were they still fast? They, HR hadn't really. Bre- so that was probably not too long after Eye Against Eye. I bought Eye Against Eye was the very first CD I ever bought for my brand new JVC CD player. And so that was whatever the year of release was. Right. I think it was around 88. Right. Or so. Right. Um, uh, Motorhead and Slayer. So was that like uh, Seasons in the Abyss or was that even before that? I think it was before that. Okay. Yeah. Motorhead, I'm not good with album titles. Um, they, they just kind of. Yeah. I mean, Motorhead just, just kind of. They're just like the air you breathe. They're right, just there right, and they're, yeah, they've got yeah. something they're touring on and it all is great. It kind of sounds the same, but it's all great. Yeah. Um, who, uh, SNFU. So I remember them. What were, were they? Epitaph? What was their. SNFU, uh, la- I'm not good with labels, but SNFU was, uh, they were a Canadian band. Uh, I remember them and the singer and just passed recently, yeah, right? Did. Yeah. Yeah. But I, somehow I got into, cause I think Pennywise was on the same la- label as SNFU and okay. I thought it was Epitaph and I just went through Bad Religion and every mm-hmm, version mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. everything that came out through that label. Right. Um, I did that with Discord. I did that with Epitaph. I did that with Revelation and mm-hmm, some of these other mm-hmm, ones. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. Any any other big shows around big that time? Show around that time, let me see. Uh, so there was like there were little venues in Ebor. Um, there was a place that we played would play at called the Generic Club. Which what was, was your band? Fun. What was your first band that you were in? First band that played out was called Urban Decay. It's great hardcore. And, uh, 
New York hardcore yeah, band sounding name. Me and uh, my brother Taylor and uh, two other guys. What'd you play? And, uh, I played drums for that. Nice. Band. How many pieces and did you have? I think I was playing a five piece kit. At some point, I pared it down to a four piece kit. Now, did you do band at all in school or? I did. So did I was you have kinda, the rudiments? You kind of knew some of that stuff? A little bit. I don't know if I was asked to leave the marching band, but I, was, I wasn't I was welcome. They weren't going out of their long. way to keep you on no. it. <laughs> was that because you were uh, I just wasn't doing in, your own thing? I wasn't into not, it. not your bag? Yeah. yeah. I didn't like the white shoes thing. That I had a, I had a thing with that. and, and uh, It's such a weird thing because, I mean, we've all been in high school. We all remember the band, and the band is not the football team. It's not the baseball team. Yeah. But some of the most amazing rock drummers out there, you know, well, but for the band, yeah. wouldn't be where they're at. And playing so. in the drum corps in the band was kind of cool because we kind of did our own thing. Like we would write our own drum cadences and yeah. and give them their, you know, like pornographic titles that we would yell out to each right. other and stuff. You know, that was like our thing. So so you kind of got to do your own thing. And it was, as you know, playing the drums in the marching band is as cool as you could get in the marching band, which still isn't very cool. But, yeah, you know, yeah. Somewhere there's a picture of me in like a parade downtown where I had the the hat on like the side of my head and the big stupid plume yeah. sticking off to the left. And I'm looking at the camera like this sucks. Yeah. You know, it was hot and you're wearing that polyester uniform. But, you know, I, I think that stuff is important in everybody's life. It's it's my, my a boy named Sue philosophy. Like everybody needs to be the focus of ridicule and, you know, consternation at some point in your life because that's yeah. how you steal yourself against the definitely the shit in life you know yeah. if you just go through all green lights all open doors mm-hmm. you become a vapid hollow shallow boring person yeah and i kind of yeah i didn't really use those skills until later on because i had pretty much you know i was making art and playing in bands and doing my own thing and then at some point around just before I turned 30, I decided to go back to school and do the fire academy and paramedic school and stuff. And that was like, you know, much more of a paramilitary kind of. It's a whole other side of your brain, personality, all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, being able to tolerate, especially at 30 years old, because I was like, I'm a grown ass man. You know, I've been. Yeah. Most of the kids with me in fire academy were 18 years old. Right. You you have some perspective on life. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's good to uh, you know to have some of that in your in your past, so you know how to deal with that kind of thing. Now you, you just kind of mentioned it. Graphic arts was that your thing early on too? I was. What, yeah, what I came was first, a, the graphic or the musical? The music came first. Um, I kind of fell into the visual art stuff. Was it comic I, books and album covers, punk posters? Was I, that? What I was did never it for really you? a comic book guy. Um, I was more into sculpture and photography. That was what I what I majored in. It's a very mature form of graphic art for a I, young kid. I, I, yeah, I was always as a young young kid. I was uh, the, I was really into photography and architecture. Were like my things that I was photography in. back then was. I mean, you're talking light rooms and film and oh yeah. Develop. I mean, it's not like today where right you have five Photoshop Express apps on your phone yeah. and you can you know. So I was the uh, I was the darkroom technician at the Oracle at USF, and that, that was a great job. I would I would, I had this whole darkroom to myself. Whenever anybody would knock on the door, I'd tell them I had film out, and I just sat there and smoked cigarettes under the fume hood and put my feet up on the thing, yeah, listened to music, out. and yeah, printed my own photos. That's and, you a, know, not a not was, a bad gig. Yeah, it was a good deal. So, how long did Urban Urban Decay last? Oh, 
I, if you know, it fe- those times feel like things went on for a long time, but they, you know, when you look yeah, at the, the time, timeline, it was like, oh, it was 10 years. You look yeah, back, it was, it was like, like three months, six yeah. months yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say the number of shows that we played out was like, you could have counted them on one hand. So disagreement know. over the direction of the band. I don't even know. <laughs> was there a Yoko? What, what, what led to the, yeah, someone I, graduate? I, I really can't even uh, pinpoint like how it, uh, you know, fell apart at the at the time yeah i don't know i mean we were all we were all friends with each other we remained friends with each other uh my friend sarp cayenne who was the bassist unfortunately passed away uh quite a few years ago now but um but yeah i mean we were all tight and well the thing was that like those bands were you kind of move in and out of them there were like a, you know, a lot of it's almost playing. per show. It's like, yeah. who's in the band? What's the band called this week? Yeah. And so it wasn't a whole lot of like being upset. Like I'm going to go play drums for these guys now. Yeah. And then this guy's going to switch from playing drums to playing the bass or whatever. Or right. we, sometimes we do that in the middle of shows too. You know, like I play drums on this song and you play the bass or whatever, you know? Right. That right. Was just, so was that the whole, the whole of your high school career in that band or? Uh, let me think. So I would get, I guess, yeah, I mean, we did some other little things here and there. Um, my, my stepbrother was, was in a band that was a lot more, uh, successful than anything that I was ever in. So I kind of was a more of a hanger on around his band and his friends for, for those years after, um, I wasn't playing so much in, uh, doing my own things. Um, and then, like I said, I started USF early. So I was like 17 when I, when I got was into that? USF, it was, I mean, at the time I thought it was a good thing to do. Um, but towards the end of it, I realized like, I'm done with my degree. I'm still living in this house with all my friends. I'm getting up at like five o'clock in the morning and go to my construction job. Right. And they're all like, you know, sleep until 11. And I was like, you know, if I was, if I had wanted to be a doctor or something, it would have made sense to like get all that stuff out of the way and continue on. Yeah, but, but I didn't have much of a plan. Up something that was, yeah, yeah. So I was like, eh, I could go to grad school for art, and I kind of, you know, went and interviewed at some schools and stuff, and was like, eh, not really what I want to do, you know. So I kind of. So you got your degree, around. you did construction, and then you went into the firefighter. Well, I did. Uh, so I I went to work for a uh, theatrical design company. Um, building st- sets and props and things oh, wow. like that. Um, a lot of theme park work. And I did that for about 10 years. So, oh, wow. um, I, I, well, and I, a lot of different boardwalk and baseball, uh, more, uh, SeaWorld, Bush Gardens. Oh, okay. Um, okay. but I also like, I worked as a welder, uh, building race cars and, and, uh, just all sorts of different things. Like You've I said, done it all. Darkroom technician. So, um, yeah, that the uh, you know the welding stuff was that was like a skill that I picked up in school doing metal sculpture, and then for like the last year and a half or so that I was in USF, that's how I was paying for school was working for a a company that was we were making like mechanical conveyor systems, and then I got a job building these kit car. Race you can cars. do all right with that. I had a I had an underwater welder guy who mm-hmm. made bank. They were yeah. was always out at, at sea for like six months of the mm-hmm. year, but mm-hmm. got paid. I suppose it's extremely dangerous, but it is. Yeah, yeah, but he made good money doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any other bands going on around that time? I mean, where was there just a big old big old stop? So, after well, yeah. So uh, I I kind of you know. This has kind of been my story throughout. Is you like got to fill my time flitting. between forced entry and Allison, you know. Well, so I kind of, I kind of dropped out of the music scene a little bit when I, when I started art school and uh, got wrapped up in the visual art thing. But I always kind of still dabbled. So, like, ni- what I ended up doing was um, 
nights, like when I was in art school, I, I would go down to Ebor and I would sit in with like James Peterson at the, at the blues ship. You yeah. Know? And all these old 60-year-old blues players would come show up at our house in Temple Terrace at like 3 o'clock in the morning and bang on the door and go like, hey, let's play Mustang Sally one more time. You know? Oh, my but, God. That's awesome. So uh, that was a cool education. And those guys were just, you know, a totally – came from a totally different world and and had a totally different set of experiences. And uh, – but they were like really accepting of, of, of me and, and our friends. And so I could show up down there and they'd like – kick the drummer off for a little bit and go, come on up, Devin, we'll play a few songs, right. you know? So, um, that was, that was kind of what I did. And, and, uh, and then we just had like a, like a jam band that would play in our art studio, you know, just kind of screwing around improvisational stuff. Um, and the graphic arts, when you're in art school, was it still the photography and, and, and sculpture or were you breaking out into other things? I, yeah. I, so I, I did, a like the way they had it set up at USF at the time you would do, concentrations in a, so I, I did a full concentration in photography. I could have graduated just with my concentration in photography, but I decided to switch to, or pursue a concentration in sculpture after I had finished the, the, uh, the photography concentration. So I kind of went back through another round. So your interest in that, did that come from somewhere? Did it come from a certain artist, a certain school of art, film? Like what was it that I, you, was? I was really into, and still am, uh, I was really into kinetic sculpture and uh, it, uh, things like Jean Tinglay, like these these big assemblages of machines. And then, and then the kind of punk uh, element of that was like what the guys at uh, survival research labs were doing in San Francisco at the time where they're like, they're putting on these like arena shows of these giant, like monster robot things that would attack each other yeah. and set things was on Was it stop motion and, or was it? No, it was, they, these were like robotic uh, creations okay. that they could drive around, but they were also like really politically active. And, and uh, so I used to sit at the library at USF cause they had all those things on, on videotape, the SRL survival research labs performances in different cities and stuff. And like they would do stuff like they'd be in Germany and they had this giant uh, sound cannon thing that they would normally they're just like, drive it up to the audience and fire it. And it's one of those like crowd control devices yeah, that yeah. compresses your chest and makes you want to vomit kind yeah. of thing. And uh, like there's one video of them in Germany. They're like, well, we got word that uh, that the cops were going to raid the squat. And uh, we don't know how, but the squatters got a hold of our sound cannon and we're chasing the riot police around with it. And then you yeah. see this like aerial footage of them driving this thing around, chasing the cops huh. away from the squat. That was like the kind of stuff that SRL would do or like fire up these giant jet engines that they had built right next to the park in San Francisco. And just you see this whole crowd of people. I just did. It's taking a color. little bit of anarchy, a little bit of absurdism, a little right. bit of political, you know, statement. I dig it. Yeah. I, that's that's pretty cool. So the first uh, the first a uh, big show that that I was given was uh, myself and two my my brother Taylor who's a writer and another sculptor. How many siblings? I have I have one real brother, and then through marriages and remarriages, there's five children on my mom's side of the family, and then I have another uh, stepbrother and stepsister on and my dad's side. What's Taylor to you? Taylor is my real brother. Yeah, so, so both of you have it in your blood. This this hunger to create to whatever the case may be. Yeah. He's a, he's a writer, a poet. Um, he lives in Oakland and has for, for years. And, uh, he's, you know, published author of, of multiple volumes of poetry and that kind of thing. Same last well. name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, what about parents or, or, or going further back? Is art something in your family or is this music was a big thing in my family? Well, so art as well. So my, um, my stepfather, um, 
who was basically my father growing up for a large portion of it. Um, his father was an Italian painter named Mario Rendina. And uh, his work is hangs in like the National Gallery in Rome. And, and then he moved here in the, I want to say the 40s to uh, Siesta Key and uh, started painting in like the black bar rooms of, of Sarasota and stuff and did some really great work from that time. So that's kind of all that lore not it's none of it's hereditary but that you know that lore of the the working artist as a as an actual you know vocation right uh, is, is kind of part of the family and then uh music was always a big part of it and so my parents were like you know 60s tampa hippie kind of what um, was playing in the house uh Crosby, stills and nash or yeah a lot of Pete that Seeger, bob dylan yeah all of that yeah and uh and then uh a lot of we we went to a lot of bluegrass festivals and folk festivals and stuff so the first instrument that i played was a banjo in uh I, started oh, I, playing I, banjo. I got one recently and uh i don't know what it is but it's hard to hit a hit a chord that doesn't sound good on them as opposed to a guitar just the uh, open tuning and just the way it's yeah, set. yeah, but yeah, yeah. literally i was just Farting uh, around with it, I was like, "This all sounds great." It's hard to hit a bad note right. on it. Although they say the the joke is like, "What's the difference? What's the difference between a, a banjo and a Harley? You can tune a Harley." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's probably true too. Yeah, but they're fun. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, was politics uh, part of your upbringing? I mean, was that something discussed by your family in the house? Yeah, yeah. My dad, especially. I mean, my so my dad was like. A, uh, a Marxist philosophy major at USF who went, like on, my to, dad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> went on to work for a, a, a window shutter manufacturer, you know, so he was full of angst about, about that situation and then ended up at uh, Jiffy Lube later in life, you know. So, right. Uh, yeah. The, don't get him started. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, my dad was a school teacher, but is socialist uh, to the point of being communist and right. anti-war and anti-money and anti-everything. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know. I, I, I a lot of that flow through to to me, but at the same time, you know, I like I like sneakers and I like air conditioning, right. <laughs> like you know, right, some right. of the luxuries yeah. of life, and it's hard to rectify yeah. those two things. Yeah, my parents weren't too hardcore in that regard. Like some of my other friends, and you know, you go to the house, and all there was is like wheat germ in the fridge and stuff like that. You know, like yeah, they're pot still, committed, man. Yeah. <laughs> they're all in. <laughs> So uh, after art school, so did art school come before the firefighter or after? Yeah, well before. So so art school, then, like I said, uh, you know, uh, scenic design fabrication for about 10 years. And then uh, basically after 9-11, I, I, I was laid off from my, uh, which was at that time, basically a construction job. I was like a trim carpenter and uh, there was nothing happening. None of the none of the scenic stuff, none of the theme parks, every, everything was shut down. You know, nobody was flying, nobody was traveling. So. There wasn't anything going on yeah, and it was kind of non-existent looking around and, and seeing what had been in the news and stuff. I didn't, everybody was any. going to firefighter at that point. I remember. And it was, yeah. it, it got a lot. It used to be like, if you're the captain of the football team, you could get on the fire, you know, but then it was like EMT and all this other, you know, it was yeah. like a big, you got to. Yeah. And, and then so, to get on with a crew was a whole other thing. Yeah. So I didn't really know, like I kind of researched it. I never knew anybody, none of my family, you know, I didn't have any experience with it. So like you said, when I started looking into it, it was like, man, there's a lot of medical stuff involved and I'm not sure how much I'm going to like that. So I thought, well, I'll go, I'll go to EMT school first. Cause that's like six months. If I don't like it, that's all I've committed to it, you know? And, uh, almost passed out the first time I watched him draw blood at the, on, a, on a clinical rotation at Tampa general. And I, I literally, I sat there at, I had this, the, like the Brady EMT uh, textbook 
and there's this there was a picture of just this horrific hand injury that was like I couldn't look at yeah. it. And uh, so I, I sat there on the couch by myself at home, and I just stared at this picture until I passed out. And then I I would wake up and sit up, and I would stare at the picture you until forced I forced yourself. It's like uh, <laughs> it clockwork like orange, exactly. yeah, like yeah. peeling your eyelids open, yeah. making you watch all the stuff. So I did that. Like I passed out like three or four times, and then I was good with it. And then and basically since then, you know, it's I'm pretty much you can't. You can't gross me out or offend me. Are you still working in that world, or mm-hmm. yeah? Okay. So I'm a captain with Hillsborough County now. Oh my gosh, what what firehouse are you at? I'm, at, I'm I just moved over to Station 31, which is corner of uh, Hillsborough and. Do you know Terry Payne? Terry Payne, T Payne uh, oh. limbs and blah blah blah. He's like my wife's cousin. Is he, he is he a Hillsborough County or Tampa City of Tampa? I think he's the firehouse that's over south of Gandy on like Himes or okay, something then like it's city, that. He's city of Tampa then. Yeah. He loves to like when I'm pulling in my driveway when he's coming down the, the inner bay there and the truck hit me with the horn and okay. scared the living right. shit out of me. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> <That's>, right. <laughs> that firefighter sense yeah. of humor. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. So, well, yeah, I've been doing that for 16 years now. And, uh, you know, it's it's a good, it's a really good fit for, you know, people that, that have other creative pursuits. You know, Nathan Dean or, or, or Ken Sargent or Nathan Dean rings a bell with me, okay. but yeah, I get a lot of firefighter clients. So yeah, we are, uh, we're Hillsborough County now. So my badge number is seven, seven, four. And I've got a rookie whose badge number is like 18 something. Oh, so. is that, is it, is it linear? Is so it they've hired, Yeah. So they've hired 1100 people since, wow. I, since I was hired. That's so. interesting. I didn't, I, I guess that makes sense, but I didn't realize it was, mm. you know. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, literally every day I have a new guy in my station who I've never seen before. Although I'm getting kind of bad in my old age now. It's like how many five foot nine white guys with short hair and a blue shirt can you meet? You well, know? not only that, the transient nature of who's coming yeah, through. Yeah. It's like, how much bandwidth am I going to devote right. to getting to know you when you're going to be gone? But it's funny because I remember that when I was a rookie, like, you have these formative experiences, you know, if, if you, maybe you fought a fire, or like ran some crazy call and that captain and that experience is going to stick out in Forever. your mind for the rest of your life. But oh. to me, it's like, I've done it a thousand times. I don't, you know, I don't even remember who this, who was there with me. I've had, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've had that with attorneys where I thought, you know, I thought I was, it's like, yeah, I did this case with such and such. And they're like, I don't even remember. Right. In the right, courtroom. right. So, um, that's interesting. So, um, now you mentioned in the the well, I wanted to talk about the the music that you sent me, and I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about the fictitious band name registry. Okay, Tell me okay. about that. All right. So, well, okay. So, uh, Handshake Squad is what I what I sent you, which is basically my kind of last real musical endeavor that lasted for about ten years. Not punk. No, uh, more. What would you, what would you, where would you put that? I, I, I kind of almost have it in like a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds kind of. Yeah, a little. I mean, there's like, I would say that people, when people generated comparisons, it was always somewhere between like, they might be giants, Elvis Costello and Frank Zappa or something like. So a little bit of absurdism, mm-hmm. a little t- bit of tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vocals are very clear and pronounced. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you, you know what is the song is about. Well, right. maybe not philosophically, but you know what the, the, right, what is right. being communicated to you. Um, but no, I, I, I can definitely follow all those. The, the thing that really jumped out to me about it was reading the story behind it, which uh-huh. is, what I thought was one of the coolest parts about it. And I, if I sent you, albeit super late for you to have any time to consume it, but um, about the dogma 95 movement, which I've talked about before on the show 
Um, Lars von Trier, who's a Swedish. Do you know who he is? I, yeah, and I know a little bit. You have to jog my memory because I know I've had I've I've got a few friends that are film people and and I, so I know I've talked about this before but I, well basically they're creating rules right, that you're right, following right. yes so you're either doing it by including something or by mm-hmm. subtracting something mm-hmm. and like uh what was it was it called Dogtown was it Dogtown Dogsville Dogsville something one of his movies there was no set they just do chalk lines on the floor and so right. this was the cabin and this was the bathroom right and you get an hour and a half into the movie and you don't even notice that there's not a set anymore like right, right. which is cool about it but with the Dog ninety five uh, it was him um, the other guy did like kids okay uh, uh, shit I'm gonna forget his name now too God's gonna kill me. Um, but in any event, not, they, not Harmony Corrine. Harmony Corrine, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he was in it for a moment, and there's okay. some other people. But basically, like, I was I thinking of uh, Larry Clark is the other. So Larry, Larry Clark, Clark is I think the wrote the movie, Harmony, or she shot it, and yeah, Harmony yeah, Corrine yeah, directed yeah, yeah. it. But basically, it's there's there's certain touchstones or principles, so all everything is going to have to be filtered through that right. lens. Yeah. So in Handshake Squad, that kind of there was a a really good dynamic there because so it's, Four guys in the band. Two of them were PhD comp- music composition students from Eastman School of Music. And the, so these guys were like, they were basically classical music composers. Right. You know? So no difficulty in writing complex harmonies and things like that. And the kind of, but, but both really, you know, lighthearted, tongue in cheek kind of, you know, funny guys. And, uh, so and then myself and my friend Joel Brown, who is still actively playing music around here, uh, he plays it in a band called The Path of Increased Indifference right now, a metal band. <laughs> awesome and uh, really good stuff. Uh, I we, love unnecessarily oblique and yeah. intricate metal names. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so he plays in a band with uh, my one of my current business partners, Tim Ogden, who's a brewer. Who's uh, Tim Ogden, I'm, I okay. know I see him on Facebook all yeah, the time. Yeah, Tim. Tim's brewed for like Cigar City and and Tampa Bay Brewing Company. And, you could ask him to come in here for me. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah he's he'll be a good uh, a good good chat too. But anyhow, uh, Joel and I uh, grew up together. We we played in bands. We went to high school together. So two and, punkers and two and, classical musicians. Right. So that was basically like so it was would, like a Mister Bungle type of yeah. super group in a weird way. And the kind of the the joke of the whole thing was that their their ability to write far surpassed any of our abilities to play any any of what they wrote. Right. Know? So like singing these these four part harmonies. Were they and fuck stuff with you? Like, like were they doing it on purpose? Like I'm No, gonna, because okay. they struggled in this well, there one of the guys, David Rogers, is probably the only one who was like a really natural musician. I mean he could sing anything, he could play anything. He played the accordion, he played the French right. horn, the guitar, and and you know, could could sing and hit the notes and, and all of that stuff. But the rest of us were just like we had to practice our asses off to ever be able to perform these. But did songs. it make you better? I mean, it sharpened your sword. Yeah, but it was uh, and and we we developed kind of like a, a a very small but very loyal fan base of people that kind of got what it was about. And it, and I think one one night at New World, somebody said like, you know what I love about watching you guys is it's like it's like uh, watching a high wire act all the time. He's like. Sometimes you guys just fucking crash right. and burn yeah. and it's a horrible catastrophe. But when you pull it off, it's like we're all rooting for you to do it. You know, yeah. so like, you know, you're dealing with terrible sound systems and you can never hear. And, and then, you know, you're trying to like play the drums and sing four part harmonies at the same time. And, and, and I, I drunk, love that. You know. I love that analogy, though. I, that, that's something that's that's for me music when it's it's most primal and it's most 
heartfelt is is literally when it's like you're on a wave like you know right, you right. know it's this is very temporary mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the 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 beginning and the end of it are going to be shit but there's going to be one part in the middle that's right. just going to be yeah sublime and uh well and it's both both ways it's entertaining right like when the you know when the figure skater goes up for the triple axle and, like and it, if yeah. they're gonna land it that's yeah. great but if they bust ass that's cool too it's something to, to watch either way so and then you know we were always just you know up for shenanigans on stage and stuff. So we had like a, we had kind of a standing Halloween engagement at new world. We'd, we would do a Halloween show there every year and we would do like, uh, do you know, Nowicki and the Holy terror and all I, those guys? I, know, I could see you guys on a bill. Together. Yeah. I, I don't so know if time wise you guys lined up. He, I was listening to his interview with you the other day and I was, I, this is kind of a, a recurring theme with me, like being in and out of these scenes, I kind of like I'll miss these large chunks and then come back and, and you've been a part of a lot of scenes though. If well, you kind of break it up in buckets, you yeah. <laughs> so I I kind of like I've I've been into this like the like the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey hero's kind journey, of thing. Sure, yeah. And uh, we've been working on the narrative for this project at the Peninsularium, this crab devil thing that we're working on, and, uh, and so I've been kind of wrapped up in that narrative development thing, and and I started thinking like. When I started on that, on this Peninsularium project, like this is the thing finally that brings together all of the skills that I've, that I've been amassing over all these years. And I, and I didn't even know when I was doing it, like what I was doing, but it's just that in my sort of story, my narrative development, like there's a long series of trials before, you know, it, I don't just have to learn how to do Kung Fu. I have to also, you know, yeah. learn how to diffuse bombs and whatever, right, right. You know, like, and, and so that, like, I feel like now I'm, I'm in that. You're at the peak of your powers. Right, right. Like now it's, now's the time to strike. We got to do it. We got to get this thing going, but you're old enough to be wise and you're young enough to still be able to, yeah. And that's perfect storm. Yeah. When I started pitching this idea about two years ago to to the partners that are involved, I was like, look, there's, if we don't do this now, it's not. Talk to me about the partners and all this stuff because I, I I don't know the the, the long and the short of it. I don't know if the listeners do. Right. So, um, about two years ago, we embarked on this project to to build out a large scale immersive arts attraction in Tampa. Um, the the closest kind of analogy to a similar operation would be a group called Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. They they built out a an attraction in a an old bowling alley there in 2016. They were their primary funder was George R. R. Martin, the Game of Thrones. Sure, yeah. Um, they they built this place out. It's about thirty thousand square feet. Um, they had like a hundred artists involved in the in the build out of it, and they and they opened this attendance based ticketed admission attraction. That's all just these all these immersive environments that are tied together, kind of by this loose narrative. And uh, they were trying to get a hundred thousand people through their doors in the first year, and they ended up getting four hundred thousand. Oh wow! And they've kind of done. Similarly, every year since. So they've been growing. Up, and it's still course. up and running now. What's it, it, it called? Is What's it called? Santa Fe? Meow Wolf. Meow Wolf. Yeah. Like like a cat's meow? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, so the the attraction there is called the House of Eternal Return, but the, the artist's collective is called Meow Wolf. Okay. Um, so, I like Beowulf, but Meow. <laughs> yeah. They, so they went from about 100 employees in 2016 when I first encountered them to like 450 employees pre-COVID doing projects all over the country. But when I first encountered that, it was kind of like, oh, this is this is what I've been waiting to do my whole life. This puts up together all of that stuff, the writing and the music and the sculpture and and all of those things and being able to work. So 
We've been running this company, Live Work Studios, since 2011. Live Work Studios. That's okay. that's my shop up next to uh, Angry Chair. Okay. There. And and now we have another another facility over on on Henry where we do most of the actual build out stuff. But we do mostly commercial bar and restaurant interiors and things like that. So like anywhere in Seminole Heights or Tampa Heights, like Armature Works. Angry Chair, Itchy Cora. That was you. We, we've did all of those gotcha. interiors. So, um, you know, getting the skills and the and the kind of this stuff takes a lot of equipment, takes a lot of space, and all of that stuff. So, like now we've got all of that stuff at our disposal, and now we can we can use all of that stuff, you know, for good. <laughs> so, where are you at in that process? So we um, we just we just closed on the property. Where's the property? Is it thirty eight hundred or- North Nebraska? Okay. So it is uh, just north of here, or it's it's a block south of MLK on so north, where the cash carry is. Yeah, on, yeah, it's it's like one block south sure. of of that. It takes up a whole city block. It's a two acre property. Okay. Um. Well, it was a what was it? It was at variously a church, a funeral home, a bail bonds place. Uh, nice. And everything. So it, it, it was like a, seen all of life's highs and yeah, lows. Yeah, it was one family that did the whole. I think they basically like you could hopefully it's haunted like, from birth like, to death. Yeah, I like the ideas of buildings kind of holding. Well, we had personality to, go, to it. We had know? to go through the whole. Um, you know, uh, ground penetrating radar and, and soil, uh, you know, surveys and all of that stuff because there had been a funeral home on the site and a septic tank and they were concerned about formaldehyde intrusion and all of I that. I saw poltergeist. I know what could happen. Yeah, yeah. Fine. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh, we close on the property. We have, um, other partners involved is Tempest Projects, the gallery that, that used to be right across from Nico's. Uh-huh. Um, they'll be moving onto the site there with us. And then Tim Ogden's brewing operation, Deviant Libation. So oh, this sounds amazing. Yeah. So we'll have a, we'll have a, a, a brewery tasting room, an art gallery, and then 27 oh shipping God. containers full of immersive art on this site. That'll be a, you know, a full day experience. Uh, now, will there be a musical component to it or the, the musical component will kind of come and go, at least in the, in the early stages, we've got probably three or four different areas where we can put on smaller scale musical. That'd be great. If there was some kind of there. music hall, like small, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, nothing, nothing like, you know, every day or, or that kind of thing, but definitely for special events and things starting out. And then, you know, there's, there's so many different, uh, you know, balls in the air with this project that we had to kind of like narrow some of it down and say, is all the permitting. Is that the, like the, the plans are, the plans are drawn, right. They're, they're before the city. We've, we've gone through most of the revisions now. So they're, they just kicked back a couple little things here and there. Um, but we've got our general contractor lined up. So we should be breaking ground over there any day. Basically. Financing's all good. The finance. So over the last, um, we've been working on like pitch decks and stuff like that. So the last two weeks of evenings, basically, we've been doing pitches to just kind of a general pitch to people, community stakeholders, uh, you know, arts patrons, city officials, and also people that we might think could, could help us out financially. Um, Richard you know, Gons, Mar Jeff Finnick. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to, you know, trying to get the our our you know your benefactors our, our, lined up. Yeah, all of that stuff in front of the the right people. Right. You know, there's there's very specific limitations on what you can do in ter- terms of direct solicitation and stuff. Oh, I'm the sure. SEC is involved in all of that stuff. So um, it's a it's to just to say that it's a complicated affair it's a process. It's a work but, of art in and of itself. Yeah, but so what's got the projected about, open date? The projected open date is uh, middle. Well, so we're doing two phases. The 
The building that's there right now is about an 8,000 square foot building. That's what will house the gallery and the brewery. We're, we're trying to get that open middle of 2021 and then the immersive art experience, which will be in all of the shipping containers on the north side of the lot. We're trying to open that at the end of 2021. Well, if there's a blessing that can be found through the chaos and hardship, it's that you seem to be on the right side of the pandemic for. Yeah. I mean, I mean if, 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 <laughs> if you had started this 18 uh, months ago, you'd be yeah. up Shit's Creek right yeah, now. Yeah, you know? it would have been bad. And I mean, the like I said, the, the blessing of it is also that one, there's a, there's a ton of artists who need work right now. And what we need right now is a ton of artists to do work. So there, we've got that going for us. And we kind of have, you know, we can have our pick of Who? people right now because there, there's so much availability. Yeah. You know? So we've got, um, of the, of the 27 containers that we're going to be outfitting, we've got eight artists right now that have, we've signed contracts with and, and have gone through their preliminary design phases. We've just been cutting checks for the initial fabrication stuff for them. And we'll start bringing people into town that are out of towners and stuff to get. Talk to me about immersive when, when you say that, what you mean? Uh, so immersive is, is basically, you know, engaging all of the senses, you know, so, um, so you can touch, it's not going to be a hands-off type of situation. Yeah. It's not going to be a hands-off type of situation. It's not, it's also, it's not, it's not, you know, paintings on the wall. It's, it's entire environments that surround you. So the, probably the, Things that people would be most familiar with are like the the Kusama Infinity Rooms that you that like they brought one to the Tampa Museum last yeah. year and and uh, you know but yeah things that are three dimensional in the round every every surface has been treated there's no yeah you know, there's no backside to anything it's all there to be investigated and then and also kind of in in these places that are large scale immersive environments oftentimes there's there's sort of a at least a, a loose narrative that binds everything together. So what we're working from here is kind of this old Florida roadside attraction, the kind of weird, gritty underbelly side of those I kinds dig of it. things. So yeah. it's all it's all very Florida centric. It's all locally based, and a lot of it's really like directly based on local history and lore and actual you know factual stuff. Well, that sounds amazing. So, so how many partners are involved in it? There are nine principals in, okay. in Crab Devil. So. Okay. Um, consisting of myself, my wife, and my other partner at LiveWork. So the three of us have been doing this fabrication stuff since- You have time to have a wife? Yeah, and, and, a, and a 12-year-old son. I was going to ask, how are you- <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, well, fortunately, she works with me at LiveWork, and she does, she's an artist and fabricator herself, but she also does all of our bookkeeping and, and keeping things- well, That's nice mind. that you can be together and still kind of, you know, do your passion. Yeah, I was talking to- we're somebody that we were working with today and, and, and he was at, cause he also has a, a, a working relationship with, with his wife. And so my wife and I've been together almost 27 years now. And, uh, he was kind of asking like, how do you guys, how have you done this for so long? And I said, oh, what I recommend is just low level bickering all the time. Like you got to have, yeah, that, it's well, it's like, healthy to kind of not let the pressure build right, up. Exactly. You know? Just let yeah. that, you know, open the valve a little bit and, and let it bleed off a little. If you can. You know? Yeah. So my wife and I, she, she, I think she came with a phrase, you've got to give each other a little rope and just kind of understand where the other's coming from. Right. And, you know, okay, you had a bad day. All right. You had the kids all day. You're a little bit cabin fever. Okay. Yeah. You know, give it, you know, you send a couple across the bow and I'll send a couple right. back and we'll have a gentleman's <laughs> right. agreement that, yeah. you know, that'll be enough of that. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's good. Well, so but we've been, she and I have been working together since 1999. Well, know? that's amazing so, though. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's a, a gift. Not many yeah. people get to do that. And when, uh, before, when we, before we had a kid, so we, we kind of moved slowly through everything we were 
we lived together for seven years, got married. We were married for another seven years before we had a kid. So you, you, and so now, you know, you kick um, the tires and check the gauges before you move on to the next yeah, level. But we had to, we got, because we did it that way, we, we got to really have like a lot of adventures as just a, you know, a childless couple. So we travel when, yeah, when, when, uh, between like the, 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 the scenic company that we were, we both worked for here and then going on to other, she went back to school to get her to be a librarian. And, uh, but in the, in the intervening time, we would just like, we, we went to the Bahamas and worked on the Atlantis casino for months. And, you know, I would do the sculpting and, and fabrication and she would do the painting. God, you got to write like a book, that. man. So yeah, we'd had a lot of, you know, we worked up in New York and, and all over the place, you know, and, and it was a good deal for the clients because they could put us both in a hotel room together and I could, I could build the stuff and she could paint it. And, you know, you're, a, so you're the a total good. package. So, um, Tell me, tell me what, what about this fictitious band name registry? Oh, okay. So fictitious, fictitious band name repository. Repos- repository. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I don't. It, it's it's been going for a while now. I want to say maybe six years, five years, six years. Um, and uh, there's a there's a few thousand members on that page, two and a half thousand members or something like that, and it just churns like nonstop. I mean, it's, is it people just making up band names? People or? just making up band names and, you know, and then fighting with each other or whatever else, you know, goes on there. But, uh, I, I don't, I, my, my stepbrother was doing it. He was in library school and, and proposed to write like a, a web crawler that would go through and take all these names and catalog them into one list. Right. Cause it's almost it, the way Facebook is set up, it's impossible to go through and, right. and find them all. Yeah. But I mean, there's got to be hundreds of thousands of bands. That's one of my there. favorite things to do. So, so if you've, if people who've listened to the show have heard me reference my band that have never all been in the same room uh-huh. at one time, but the name is the fuck hammocks. And that was a, <laughs> I got him to spit his drink out everybody. <laughs> and there was an article, it was like an onion article. And it was talking about how, uh, the city of St. Pete and, and Sarasota were reticent to put uh, nets on the Skyway uh-huh. to stop suicide jumpers because they were <laughs> become the fuck hammocks. Uh-huh. <laughs> People would be out there banging each other on the bridge. And I was like, that's the perfect that's name a, for a band. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good one. So do you are so, you playing music at all these days? Um, I I drumming is a hard one to do without a bit like I've got a kit um, and I and and occasionally when I have when I have things cleared out in the shop, I'll get it set up. The um, COVID kind of screwed things up. Um, We had been just doing like the occasional we were calling it dad rock. It started out as like a Father's Day thing, like everybody that doesn't have a band and doesn't get to rock. I've been talking. Yeah, I was I was very sad to learn that dad brains already existed. Uh, (laughs) So then it was dad religion. And now now we've landed on dad company is kind of where we're going to be right now. Dad nasty. (laughs) Dad nasty. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. What are you listening to these days? um, Your taste softened a bit or a little. Well, no, I mean, I've always been kind of all over the map. So just like, for example, uh, last night, the three of us had, as a family sat and ate dinner on the couch and watched idols uh, perform on some, you know, like tiny desk kind of. Thing. I saw, I've seen that show. Uh, it, actually, it was, it, it's another, I've, I've seen the idols uh, tiny desk one, but this was another, I can't remember which one of, of those uh, live performance shows it was. It's a, just, a newer one because they have a new album out. 
My description of idols is if Tom Hardy was a band, it would be idols. <laughs> <laughs> or what's that show that everybody, uh, Peaky, Bl- if Peaky uh, Blinders Peaky Bl- was a band, right, it would be idols. Right. I mean, there's a lot. I was thinking uh, last night, I was thinking like, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of motorhead in there too. Like there's like, they're That's faster like, stuff, but the, the never fight a man with a perm. I can watch uh-huh. that, that video of them playing that live right. over and over and over right. and over again. That yeah. just, that song just gets me pumped up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's like a, that's a family favorite. Like everybody, everybody likes idols. Um, but if I'm listening to, uh, I've been listening. Oh, so I, I was thinking in coming in here that you'd be a good person to pitch this or one of your listeners. Cause I've been carrying this idea around and I'm too busy to do it, but. Anybody that wants to do it can have it. And the, the idea is because you were talking about like Spotify or being conflicted about, yeah. about listening to Spotify. Right. Know? And what I've been wanting to do for years is, is, a, is a local Spotify. Just you've got all these businesses, restaurants and bars and stuff that want to have music playing and they have to pay licensure to ASCAP or whatever. Right. Uh, or they have to pay for the, the Spotify commercial package. If they don't, they get busted and ASCAP sues them, you know. Um, for p- playing unlicensed music, but th- these venues they don't really care so much what the music is. They just want to have, have something music in the background. Yeah. So I think it's a great opportunity. Like if you could get a bunch of local bands on board and say we're going to put your your stuff in into this rotation and we're going to give you some amount of royalties. Probably can't be very much. Because right. People aren't going to pay that much for it, but it establishes that familiarity with local music that you know you could then be listening to the WMNF or whatever it is or or walk into a place like Armature Works or something and go like that's oh, a great idea I'm, I'm running through know? the rolodex of guests that have been on the show trying to think what conflagration of a team of guests could somehow that's, pop in but yeah i mean somebody i i talked to a few people um and actually uh, a facebook friend who who formerly worked for ASCAP um I think I put it out there like on Facebook, like, Hey, somebody should do this, you know? And, uh, John Bain, who was a, who worked for, he was like one of the ASCAP enforcer guys that would go around to right. bars and tell them we're going to yeah. sue you if you don't stop playing that. You yeah. Know? Um, but he, I think had enough like coding app writing experience, you know, to, to have some ideas about how that, you know, how to put something like that together. Well, I've had this theory lately that I've been talking about with guests, which is because of national tours all but drying up and disappearing mm-hmm. uh there's going to be a much bigger space for local bands to right. occupy right you know well and and this is this is kind of part of the larger uh idea behind crab devil and the peninsularium is like trying to you know i feel like tampa has tampa's never really gotten its due and kind of rightfully so because we've never been able to get our shit together to the point that we should have our due. But like there, all the elements are there. All of the, you know, you've got great artists, you got great musicians, you got great writers, you got all, great you know, food, all great, great history, food and yeah. history, all of that stuff. But the problem is that the connections have never been allowed to develop. Like new Orleans, I think is a really good kind of sister city example. They're, they're pretty similar to Tampa in a lot of ways, but they're also like, and, and I was thinking about this this morning on terms of timeline, like, how much older is New Orleans than Tampa? Well, they're 180 years older than, or no, they're 100 and New Orleans was 1718 and Tampa was 1843. So they're 120 years older. Um, and yeah, that's what, it, that's what it was. Well, so then I thought, well, when was, when was jazz, when did jazz start? Well, it started with Buddy Bolden, 1895. How, how long ago was that? 
120 years. So like we're maybe we're at the point in our timeline now when we make our jazz. Right. Right. right, This is the point where all of these, the, you know, we had a tossed salad and now we're going to make a melting pot. Like, you know, that we had all these elements here that were kind of rubbing up against each other, but because of segregation and racism and classism and what are all these different things that we've dealt with over the years, they, every, everything's kind of been kept in its own box and, and the cross pollination hasn't occurred. And that's what happened in new Orleans where those culture, even though not to say that there was like an egalitarian society or anything, because it certainly wasn't or isn't even, you know, but those forces were allowed to influence each other for long enough that they rubbed off on each other. I wish, I wish I had, I was, there's all, all these like thought thought processes that I wish I had the time to go down. Like, you know, if I could just have a year of not having to worry about paying bills or whatever, I would study this and understand that. But uh-huh. um, I, I've, I've been interested and I was speaking to, was it, was it Owen Meats or who was it? Somebody about, what could really make a music scene here take off? And I was mm-hmm. talking about Nashville and mm-hmm. some of these mm-hmm. other things, but I'm always interested about what gives a place its identity and how that's chosen it. Like, like, you know, New Orleans is a great example between the jazz and the Creole and the, the, the cage, mm-hmm. I'm not Creole Cajun. And you know, that, that sort of stuff. I, I'm trying to think of what Tampa's identity well, is like. Well, I think if you, I mean, I think if you ask a local, they'll give you all sorts of examples. But again, it depends on who you ask. But so, if you're not but, from here, it's what is it? Strip clubs, Cuban sandwiches and exactly. beaches? Well, yeah. so the, the thing that I say about, to people about Tampa all the time is like, you, you know, the, there's an old cliche about New York. It's a, it's a nice place to visit. And I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah. Tampa is the exact opposite. It's a nice place to live. I wouldn't want to visit. Yeah. If, you, if, they, if somebody took you and dropped you in the middle of Dale Mabry and Waters or something, you'd be like, this is, this place this is, is horrible. Right? Waste, wasteland, yeah. yeah. And and it's hard to get to without like a, an inn. It's hard to get to the meat of what's cool about Tampa. You know, you've got to know somebody who's been here a long time that go like, well, let's. I'm take you to Ricardo's and we'll get a we'll get a giant devil crab, and you'd be like, oh, this is amazing. You know. Well, like, so there's there's very much a, a Latino history. There's mm-hmm. very much an Italian history. Mm-hmm. Um, so to put it in food terms, at like. Uh, the the thing that I go back to is crab chilau. I don't know if you know crab chilau. So crab chilau is, is like a bastardization of crab chilau, which is crab enchilado. So enchilado, the Spanish like slur of words ending in ado is to drop that and just say al. So like pescado becomes pacao. Okay. So crab or jaiva jaiva enchilado becomes jaiva chilau. And then that becomes crab shila. They don't know what to so, do with you at the firehouse, do they? You are not any firefighter well, that I've ever met before. <laughs> well, so but actually, this is this is interesting because uh, Hillsborough County, who I work for, was started out as largely Cuban fire department. So there's a huge like Cuban tradition there. Every firehouse in Hillsborough County has a little cafecita espresso maker on the stove. Everybody makes Cuban coffee at least twice a day, probably yeah. more than that. Um, you know, everybody knows how to make a good sofrito. They like the, all of that stuff is part of the of the firehouse culture here. But in terms of crab chilau, it it became crab shilau, which is a which is like a black Tampa dish. And so th- there's traditions of this dish. So what it is is uh, it's blue crabs cooked whole 
in spicy marinara sauce and served over spaghetti, which is oh, like, wow. it's like the messiest, most ridiculous. Sounds, yeah. You get it all over your face. It's just, it's so hot that like your lips are burning Yeah, and, and you're having to crack open these crabs that are covered in spaghetti sauce with your hands. So it's just like a fabulous mess. Right. And, uh, it's and, not a first date meal. No, it, it's <laughs> what it is, is like a, it's like a, a birthday party at the beach is, yeah. is what you, so you would like, Back when there were crabs in the bay that you could just grab. Makes me think of like low country broil or like whatever they do up in South Carolina. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think that's a perfect like it's a perfect example because you can say, so here's a dish that that went through like every culture, Italian, Spanish, African, um, you know, and then with the Tampa twist on it, um, it got adopted by by the Italians, by the Cubans, and by by the black community in Tampa. And it kind of like fractured and went all these different ways. And if you ask blacks in Tampa about crab shilau, they know all about it. They 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 spell it like S-H-E-L-O-W or yeah. something like that. They don't know the history of how it got to right. be that way. And then the dish itself, like you, how long have you lived in Tampa? You don't know about it. You know, right. you can't there's there may be like one restaurant where you can go and order it, but it's not it's not anything that's commonly known it's by legit anybody. So that's food, like, yeah. yeah, and it's and that's kind of the problem that we have is if like, Bourdain was still alive and visited Tampa. Someone would take him to have some crap. Right, allow. right. Yeah. But it, but it's like one of those things that we don't tell our story well at all. You know, we don't we don't convey that to people, and we don't take them. We somebody shows up in town, we take them to the fucking cheesecake factory. Yeah, you know? not like to have some real authentic Tampa experience. Well, I wonder how much of that is because of somewhat the transient nature. Like almost everybody that I have on the show is from like up Northern New York or whatever. Right. You know, it's not, it's not a lot of people lived here all their life and you kind of have mm-hmm. to like have some investment in it, in your soul to want to be able to promote it. Cause if you're late to the game, it's, I like, think, yeah, I th- there's, I think there's some truth to that. You know, there's, um, but yeah, there's, there's all kinds of, Really interesting stories and do you know and, Greg Baker? Stuff. Yeah, uh huh. So I had him on last week, and I was asking him. And I mean, if you know him and you know his story, I can mm-hmm. understand his opinion and why he has it. I don't know if I know enough to agree or disagree, but he kind of felt like Seminole Heights and Tampa Heights had its moment, but mm-hmm. that now it's being invaded by money and all these other things and it's not going to be the place that cool people go anymore and so i I don't know do you have an opinion on that or have you thought much i have a i have opinion i have plenty of opinions on on that um i don't know that i've come to any conclusion on it because i'm conflicted about it. conclusions are dangerous yeah but i think that like so greg and i and a few other people you know we we're the reason why that shit happened yeah so we have to kind of like take bear the responsibility for it you know um I, I built the bar at, at the refinery. You right. Know? I, you know, um, I built the bar at Angry Chair. I built the bar at Ichikoro. I, you know, like I, I helped to make those places desirable and I helped to, to increase the price. And then I, I took a house that I bought for $47,000 and sold it for $310,000. Wow. You know, so certainly, um, you know, if you want to call that a problem, I'm part of that problem you well know, not a but, problem but like uh you know where where is it in the timeline is it on a way up is it kind of plateaued is it on the way out it, i don't i don't know but but uh but this is what interests me in like doing this project now in what's ebor heights you know this is a different neighborhood um and the same issues are going to come up you know 
some people are some people are really excited. Oh, you guys are coming in here. You're putting multiple millions of dollars into this property. You're gonna you're gonna raise the property value, everything around it. They're they're super excited about that. Other people, not so much. You know, and there's and there's valid arguments both sides both, of, yeah. both sides. But to me, so to me, the difference is what we're trying to do over there is jobs related as well. Yeah, and so if. If we if we raise the property values of the neighborhood and we and we inadvertently price out a grandmother who's on a fixed income because her property taxes go up to the point where she can't afford them anymore. I mean, those things happen. But at the same time, if we provided 100 jobs to people in the neighborhood, it's a net positive, you know, yeah, yeah. Th- those people are going to have money in their pockets to pay their increased property taxes and they're going to reap the benefits. And of, that's and that's life. You know, yeah. that's you know, we politics being a parent being a business person you know you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet and that's very entitled and kind of bougie to say but it's just i think the reality of the well i mean yeah i mean there's you know there there's there's negative effects that you can track from any action that you take in any direction all the time but but yeah i think like in terms of looking at how do how do we preserve these neighborhoods and the spirit of the neighborhood and the people you know support the people that live there it's a, it's about that it's like not not coming into a neighborhood and having a parasitic relationship to it like the only reason we came here is because the property values were cheap and we couldn't afford anything else and now what we're going to do is is try to drive the prices up and get all of these people out of here you know yeah um obviously not a cool thing to do um but but yeah, my argument has always been like, this is what I do. I build things. I make things look nice. I build these environments for people that like to come and hang out with them. Should I stop doing that? You know, like, yeah. should, cause that's the argument. Like you guys should have just left it when it was shitty. Like I lived in Seminole Heights in 1997. You couldn't even get a fucking pizza delivered. I mean, yeah. you literally could not get a pizza delivered. There was no, there was nowhere to eat lunch. There was no, there was no nothing, you know, and, and there was just nothing going on. So Maybe there's a sweet spot there where you can get a pizza, but you don't have a bunch of dickheads in the bar at night. I don't know. You know, it's hard for people to have a broad perspective outside their their experience of the world, you know, to understand that there's, you know, the impact. Empathy is such a lost art, you know, in this world. Certainly. Uh, One of the things I wanted to ask you, and and I don't know if it's a maybe you can speak on it, maybe you can. As a firefighter, have you been involved in the protests at all? Have you are you called on to? Stand by as EMTs or to be present for any of that? I have been. um, I haven't been recently, but so I was um, I spent quite a few years over in Palm River, like 78th and Causeway and 78th and Palm River in those neighborhoods. And uh, there was there was an incident. That's not Claremel, is it? Claremel. Yeah. Claremel is a a big is a big topic on this show. Okay, Some of the coolest people uh, that come on the show are from Claremel. Claremel is like a breeding ground for strange people. It's an interesting place. I I loved working over there. Um, I, you know, it it's just a a really like when I it's one of these neighbor. It's a it's a it's a poor neighborhood. You when you drive through it, you think like. Oh, this is going to be just like when I work in Suitcase City, which is like you just run your ass off all night long, no stop. You know, yeah, you run twenty three, twenty four calls a shift. Um, Palm River is not really the same way, even though the people there probably have just the same amount as of money as the people in Suitcase City. It's a different kind of like working poor neighborhood where these people are like they're not there to fuck around. They're like they have to get up and go to work in the morning. They're not going to call. Nine one one for for no reason, you know. Who was it that was telling me it was like military housing, or there was a history there that had to do with the base, or? Well, uh, that part I don't know, but I do know that like that. So 
Clermel would be the section on the east side of 78th Street between Palm River and uh, Causeway. Uh-huh. And then going south from there, you have Progress Village. And Progress Village was kind of like the the 60s, what do you call it, like the, the urban renewal. Projects. Where, where, well, basically, it was like, let's get these people as far out of town as we can. Yeah. So they built Progress Village and like the buses didn't even, it was like a cow pasture uh-huh. with a bunch of little uh, 800 square foot block ranch houses that right. they built there and kind of plopped these people down. Like they had nowhere to go that, you know, they couldn't, couldn't get to work or get from yeah. work. And they, and, but some of those people are still there today. So, you know, Dave Decker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know, but yeah, I know, I, I know him from being around. He was, yeah. he was in a band called, called Claire Mel. Yeah. yeah. And he's, yeah. you know, been at every protest shooting the photos. Yeah. And and all I, so I've been following, I've been following his photos and, and that kind of thing. Um, we're getting ready to – we've got a mural in, unveiling on the Crab Devil site on the 24th. Oh, cool. Um, that's uh, kind of in direct response to the the issue with the city and the and the, the – the, whatever you want to call it. The block the blub block yeah, yeah. The mural that, that got painted on the street there. Um, we kind of wanted to do something in response to that and, and – uh, and and engage some of the of the local black artists especially so uh so we teamed up with uh New Roots Art Collective uh which is a group of young black artists and uh and then Il Soul which uh Tony and and Michelle have done quite a few murals in the neighborhood they did the one on on uh, Shuffle down the road yeah, yeah. um uh, they kind of coordinated it and ran it with uh with New Roots but it's like a this is a 40 foot mural that's a like a reimagining of the twenty dollar bill as a as the Harriet Tubman twenty dollar oh, yeah. bill, with some kind of Black Lives Matter imagery and, and protest imagery and stuff. I love it. I, I I you know I, I bought this building in twenty seventeen and I was talking to Greg Baker about this. I bought it in like September and within the first two months of being here, we had that hurricane that was supposed to like come right up Tampa Street, mm-hmm. and then we had the serial killer. Oh right, who, yeah. and it was I was just like. <laughs> Did I just make the worst right. mistake of yeah. my life? Because uh-huh. there's a there's about that fall, like no one wanted to come to my office after right. about two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. But when I came here, I I started joining all these local Tampa Heights groups, Summon mm-hmm. Heights groups. And it's mm-hmm. so funny, you know, it's 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 so such a community, you know, and I love Every night it's, you know, what's this helicopter doing here? Or did, oh, has anybody so seen this bicycle that so got that's stolen? Another, that's another one of my Facebook uh, alter egos is the uh, Heights Copter page. Have you uh, encountered no, that? No, no, no. So, this, I started it during the <laughs> when the serial killer, yeah. because it was all, it's all like, what's going on? There's a, I see a helicopter. Is he out here? What's what's happening? So the, the, uh, the Heights Copter page is basically the helicopter itself talking to you in a very snarky <laughs> way. Like, you know, you think you're so important. You think I, you can, you're going to waste a million dollars in fuel for me to chase your criminal ass around the Alpine liquor park. And right. like, so any, basically anytime I would hear the helicopter up in the air at my you're house, just snark I would control just post people. say like, I'm up here, I'm watching you, you know, how's your boy is, is, is he have mom and dad's tendencies or is he going to be like a Republican no, accountant? What's no, his, what's, he's a hundred percent, uh, so, uh, he's got an afro that is is like about a foot taller than he is. Oh, I love it. And uh, he is, uh, you know, he has this whole shop at his disposal also. So so he he loves to like build things, make things. Do like he'll sit for hours and just build his own little models and constructions or sculpt little figures. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's he's definitely a, a chip off of both of these blocks. That's awesome sure. to see. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's not really a musical kid, though. I mean, he, he was actually last night he was sitting there strumming the guitar on the couch. But like he's had a guitar. He's had two guitars, you know, since he was like six. Is he a never, fan of music? He's he's just start, like he didn't care about music at all. That until, happens to some people, though. Like mm-hmm. some people you hear about coming to it late. It's yeah. not it's not always the same path for everybody. And yeah. And I think like I mean, he's 12. He's not that much older than I was when I kind of had my musical awakening. Yeah. Yeah. So I was around it and enjoyed it, but I didn't really start, you know, playing and being interested until, you know, I was probably 10. I think when I started playing banjo fourth grade. Yeah. So what you got going right now is kind of a a capsulation doing the firefighter thing. You and your partners are working on, and I want to, before we wrap up, make very clear what this is so that people who listen to this can be on the lookout mm-hmm, for it when mm-hmm. it comes. Music, you're kind of farting around with it, nothing nothing too significant. Right. Anything more personally with graphic arts that you're doing? Are you doing any photography, sculpture, any I, that kind, I, kind of stuff? I do um, I do just kind of uh, shoot photos around town and stuff. Um, what do you shoot? I, what kind of camera? I have a, a Fuji X-T2. Okay. Um, so it's like a... It's like a digital version of an old manual camera. Okay. You, know, you have manual control over everything and it's like dials. It's not like push button menus right. or anything. It's so it's, it's just like shooting with an old camera. My wife got into um, photography about five, six years ago and now she does it. She's an attorney, but basically she does it professionally. She mm-hmm. does, you know, couple shoots and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And there's, I, I, I had, it was one of those things where I had difficulty calling it an art until I understood, mm-hmm. you know, what's going into between aperture and light and mm-hmm. da, 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 da. I mean, and it's really, you're painting with colors with a camera, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I used to think it was just, Oh, you point, you shoot and you have a good lens and that's right. all it is. And right. after I kind of saw through her, like mm-hmm. what was entailed with it, I really dug it. I have a, a bunch of books down there by this guy, Glenn Friedman, who mm-hmm. he did a lot of the Dogtown skateboarding scene and he did okay. the early run DMC and beastie boys and black flag and all mm-hmm, this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I love that old, like grainy black and white band photography where you can kind of almost catch movement in it. Yeah, That's why I yeah. love Dave Decker stuff so much because mm-hmm. he shoots a lot of the live music stuff around. Yeah. So anyway, well, I appreciate you so much for coming in. Now, I, I want to get this straight. So the the collective is called... Crab Devil. Crab Devil. Mm-hmm. There's two shops that you're working out of called... The Live Work Studios is my uh, okay. business. Yeah. Okay. And then is the name of the establishment going to be the Peninsularium? Exactly. So, yeah, um, just like uh, the example I gave you before, Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, their their attraction is called the House of Eternal Return. So this is the Peninsularium brought to you by Crab Devil. So, you know, Crab Devil is the artist collective. If we are to do other projects, those projects could take on other names. The Peninsularium is the place on at 3800 North Nebraska. And keep your eyes open for it mid-2021. Yeah, and and we'll be doing like, so we have this mural. I don't know when you'll run this. It's probably not in time, but we'll, we have this mural unveiling on the 24th. I think, I think uh, you might Saturday. make it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, so people are welcome to come out for that. We're going to, this is just kind of us trying to like introduce ourselves to the neighborhood, say, hello, we're going to grill some hot dogs and have a couple of rappers. Uh, Mike Deluxe is there. And, uh, um, I think one other performer will be out there, um, outside socially distanced, like two to five o'clock kind of thing. Um, so anybody that wants to show up for that is welcome to, and, and all that information is available on our Facebook page, which is crab devil. And, uh, there's Instagram for Crab Devil and also Peninsula, which is at Crab Devil or at Peninsularium are the 
uh, Instagram pages. Let me ask you this question. Can you turn this off? Because I feel like you are just <laughs> a, a conduit for 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 there's you've got an itch and you're trying to scratch it. Well, you know, I was I was thinking about like the social media thing and you know, my wife is on me pretty frequently for like spending too much time yeah. on my phone and, and social media and stuff. And I've told her before, you know, imagine Imagine if I had to tell you all of this shit all the time, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, you're getting out cheap. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of the the band name repository is just like I need a way to get this stuff out of my head. Here's know? here's the argument, and I don't know if this holds any water, but picture me like this, and for the people listening, I'm holding my cell phone up in front of my face, but replace it with a newspaper. Why is that different? Right. If I was sitting in the front room reading a newspaper, uh, I would be, you know, whatever. So I have an electronic the, newspaper that I can. The difference is that y- there's no virtue signaling going on. Like nobody knows what you're up to. You might be doing something bad on your phone. You know, like, yeah, 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 the, yeah, the newspaper. Yeah. Like, this is true. Oh, okay. you, you could be the worst thing you could be doing is reading a poor quality newspaper. Yeah. You know? Like your your phone, you could be looking at anything. Right. And that's it. Like you're not. It's it's even like. Like it's the difference between like reading a Kindle on the train or reading a copy of Moby Dick. You know, like if you're reading a copy of Moby Dick, people are like, "Whoa, man, that guy!" Yeah, he reads yeah. Moby Dick on, on the phone. The, on it's like, the look the at subway. this asshole. Won't put his right. phone down. Yeah, which you could be. I I was just reading Moby Dick on my phone. A lot of assholes of weeks ago, read you know? Moby Dick. Yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. that you're an asshole. Like, but. but yeah, and that's the thing. When your wife catches you, you're like, "No, I was reading Moby Dick on my phone." Well, it's you know, it's so uh, with COVID, we were around each other a lot more than normally we were. And as a divorce attorney, I can tell you there was a huge uptick in, in divorce cases. Right, so, right. you know, people were at each other's throats a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I get a lot is when I get home, like she wants me to be present. That's that's part of what she wants me to be involved. And that's understandable. Yeah. And and I completely understand that. But the flip side of that is all day long, I've been present. I've been on the phone for these clients, answering their questions, right, solving right, their right. problems, making these arguments. Mm-hmm. I want to go inside my head. I want to go inside a hard candy shell right. and, and kind of recover a little bit. And yeah, I think like some of it to me is just like, like it's just, it, it must be what like, like standups get out of putting a routine to get like, there's like a joke map. Cause that's all I like. I don't, I mean, I'll I'll post political stuff on Facebook just because, you know, Donald Trump's an idiot. And and so he's somebody to make jokes about, you know, but I, I'm not like a, a retweeter of memes or anything like that. Like, yeah. you know, if what I want to see there and what I enjoy to see there is like original content from people like tell me a joke that's funny. Yeah. Or, you know, say something interesting that I haven't heard because I'll, I'll put heartfelt stuff up on there, too. But, you know, it's it's about like trying to craft some just some little thing that is like going to make somebody laugh or make somebody think or 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 whatever you know that's the kind of thing you're a builder like, of of joy but you, the, the, you, that's you. so that's one of the one of the taglines that we that we use for the peninsularium is an architecture of joy is yeah. what we, we call it so yeah i dig it i dig it thank you so much for coming in you're yeah. you're yeah, I'm, I'm i'm trying to think who you remind me you're like this weird like Bukowski slash Hemingway slash uh, Kerouac. I don't know. You, you got you because you, because you, you you you're the firefighter. You know you look like you can handle yourself, but you also be happy playing drums, reading a book, painting a picture. <laughs> kind of a jack yeah. of all trades. Yeah, it's yeah. very cool. 
Thank, Thank you. you so much. I'm glad you re- reached out to me. It was great having you on. I yeah. can't tell you how stoked I am to go to the Peninsula area. I mean, it sounds like it's great. Yeah. going to be right up my alley. My kids will love it. Awesome. Uh, that's yeah. great for something like that to come to the come to the neighborhood. Yeah, so. that's what we're looking for. You know, like a, a real family friendly thing that you know that you can spend a day hanging out and and have the kids be entertained and yourself as well. Well, I wish you well, and hopefully you'll come back on around the time of the grand opening so Definitely. we can talk about it further. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you.